Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, December 5th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins, with a summary of election news. Today, a new California poll is good news for Sanders, the impeachment update, a House Democrat announces his retirement, Gabbard moves to New Hampshire, Bloomberg keeps spending on TV ads, and Biden releases his tax plan. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, let's talk about a new poll of California. As we've discussed for the past couple of days, one major candidate from California, Senator Kamala Harris, is now out of the race. Activist and billionaire Tom Steyer is also from California, though he is pretty far down in the polls. Okay, so one of the big questions in the post-Harris era is, what's going to happen in California? To whom do her voters go? California votes on Super Tuesday, which is March 3rd, and there are a ton of delegates to be had out there. Well, a new poll by the UC Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies gives us a peek at the current state of play. It was conducted before Harris left the race, so this will offer us a baseline for the next time they run this poll. The poll had a margin of error of plus or minus 4%, and it ran online between November 21st and November 27th. You might note that end date, the day before Thanksgiving. We tend not to see a lot of polling over that Thanksgiving weekend, which accounts for the recent drought of poll results. That should clear up shortly. Okay, so with all that preamble out of the way, the big headline here is that Senator Bernie Sanders has the lead. However, that lead is within the margin of error of Senator Elizabeth Warren. Sanders has 24% versus Warren's 22% and they are both roughly 10 points above the next pair of candidates, Biden and Buttigieg. The reason this is viewed as especially good news for Sanders is that he is up five points since September, the last time this poll was run, while Warren is down seven points. So even though they are basically tied right now, we are seeing a lot of movement. Reading from an article by Janet Hook for the Los Angeles Times, quote, The upshot of the poll is that the field's most liberal candidates, Warren and Sanders, are in a statistical tie for first place. The leading candidates making a more moderate pitch, Biden and Buttigieg, are lagging and essentially tied for third place. End quote. Two other things to note in this poll. One, Harris had only 7% of the vote in California overall. That technically is enough to change the position of one of these other candidates if somehow magically all of her voters were to move as a single block. But that's not likely to happen because these people can make up their own minds about their second choice. And two, Steyer, the other Californian, gets 1% in this poll. He also has just an 18% favorability rating among those polled, which is super rough considering that this is his home state. And now the impeachment news in three minutes or less. Yesterday, the House Judiciary Committee heard from four law professors. Three had been called to testify by Democrats on the committee and one by Republicans. They spent hours laying out what the framers of the Constitution meant when they included impeachment in that document, what it meant then, and what it means now in the context of the current inquiry. 
Three of them were very clear in their response that President Trump's conduct in the Ukraine matter met the standard for impeachment. The fourth, Professor Jonathan Turley, disagreed. He said that this process was moving too fast, and that speed would create a dangerous precedent. It was notable that Turley also said he didn't support Trump. He thought that Trump's phone call to Zelensky wasn't perfect. But right now, for this matter, he was saying, basically, slow your roll. Let the courts do their job, too. Now, there were many counter-arguments to that, but I'm going to pick one from Professor Michael Gerhardt. Quote, I just want to stress that if what we're talking about is not impeachable, then nothing is impeachable. This is precisely the misconduct that the framers created a constitution, including impeachment, to protect against. And if there's no action, if Congress concludes they're going to give a pass to the president here, as Professor Carlin suggested earlier, every other president will say, okay, then I can do the same thing, and the boundaries will just evaporate, end quote. So this was a more nuanced set of arguments than many we've seen before. Broadly speaking, Republicans have said the entire thing is completely illegitimate, and Democrats have said it is very important, and in fact, their duty as members of Congress. What the testimony by Turley did yesterday was potentially open up a third path, a way of saying what the president did may have been wrong, but this impeachment process is moving too fast to gain all the relevant facts and isn't giving enough time for the courts to weigh in. Having said that, Trump himself tweeted on this matter today, writing in part, quote, I say, if you are going to impeach me, do it now, fast, so we can have a fair trial in the Senate, end quote. Okay, so the president wants speed, the Democrats want speed, what could possibly happen next? Well, the other big news is that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made brief remarks this morning confirming that, yes, the House will draft articles of impeachment. And beyond that, she used the plural chairmen when saying who would draft those articles. That suggests that multiple committees beyond just the judiciary will be involved in this process. While this might not seem like news, it is important to note that this is the first time Pelosi has actually confirmed that articles will be drafted. Prior to this, many of us, including me, have assumed that that would probably happen. But now, it has happened. It is also useful to note why she said those articles were being written. Pelosi said, quote, The facts are uncontested. The president abused his power for his own personal political benefit at the expense of our national security, end quote. So that is a core disagreement. Pelosi says the facts point to impeachment, so we impeach. Turley argues that the process is itself dangerous because of its speed. Hiring is challenging, and it used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter. In fact, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your 
job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you cannot miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, listeners here can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Yesterday, I told you about the most recent House Republican to announce his retirement from Congress. That is Duncan Hunter of California's 50th District. Well, late yesterday, Denny Heck of Washington State's 10th District announced his retirement as well. According to an ongoing count by the Washington Post, that makes him the ninth Democrat to announce his retirement, while there are either 20 or 21 Republicans, depending on whether you count Hunter. And I do count Hunter because he just said yesterday that he is going to retire. Anyway, in an article on Medium, Heck listed his accomplishments and even included a line that was both sincere and a pretty decent pun on his last name. Quote, Heck, I even love becoming one of the House's foremost monetary policy experts. How nerdy is that? End quote. Nerdy enough for this podcast, that's for sure. Heck did not specify a simple single reason for his retirement, but he did cite his age and the fact that the impeachment inquiry has weighed on him heavily. He is on the House Intelligence Committee, and he has just concluded that long slog of testimony and report writing and report reading and so on. He commented on the net effect of that and our current political environment, writing in part, quote, At times, it is as though there are no rules or boundaries. Success seems to be measured by how many Twitter followers one has, which are largely gained by saying increasingly outrageous things. The more personal, the better. And there are simply too many hyperbolic adjectives and too few nouns. Civility is out. Compromise is out. All or nothing is in. End quote. Heck's seat is likely to remain Democratic. The Cook Political Report rates it as solid D, meaning another Democrat could run there and likely win. At the moment, I only see one Democratic primary challenger, that is truck driver Joshua Collins, who tweeted about Heck's retirement. Collins is a Democratic socialist and has a rather large number of Twitter followers, something he mentioned as he tweeted in celebration of Heck's retirement. Reading from an article by Stephen Shepard and Ali Mutnick in Politico, quote, Heck's retirement will likely result in a crowded field of candidates vying to succeed him. Under Washington's top two primary system, all candidates will run together on the same ballot, regardless of party, in the August 4th primary, with the top two finishers advancing to a head-to-head general election. End quote. Here's a quick one. Representative Tulsi Gabbard has rented a house in Goffstown, New Hampshire, and is now living there. Why? Well, she is super focused on its February primary, and being on the ground is vital to being able to campaign, especially when her home state is real far away in Hawaii. 
Gabbard told New Hampshire's TV station WMUR, quote, I grew up in Hawaii, where Christmas was 80 degrees and a day at the beach. And so, being here in the winter, it's just, the first snow of the year is always fun. End quote. As a former Floridian, I can relate. And yes, it is fun for a while. Next up, more on advertising by former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg. He has extended his previous mega TV ad buy with another mega TV ad buy, this time with a new ad. The new ad began airing in every single state yesterday, including the first four states that vote before Super Tuesday, even though Bloomberg doesn't plan to be on those ballots. Although the campaign didn't give out a specific dollar number, the new ad buy is supposed to be around $40 million, according to a report by Steve Peoples in the Associated Press. Reading from that report, quote, In the new ad, Bloomberg is seizing on what Democratic voters consistently say is the most important quality they want in a presidential nominee, the ability to beat Trump. But it's unclear if his message will overcome skepticism about his political past. Bloomberg formally registered as a Democrat only last year, after spending much of the last two decades as a Republican and an Independent. End quote. And last up, today former Vice President Joe Biden released his long-awaited tax plan. Matthew Iglesias, a reporter for Vox, summed it up on Twitter. Quote, the Biden tax plan is not very exciting, but would make rich people pay a lot more in taxes, end quote. He also wrote a detailed explainer in Vox, which of course gets into the nuts and bolts. Oddly enough, I could not find any actual link to the Biden tax plan itself, just a bunch of media analyzing other media talking about this plan. It appears that the campaign first revealed its plan privately to Bloomberg News, and then everybody else reported on what Bloomberg said. So if you go check out Biden's website, at least right now, it's not there yet. Anyway, what would the plan do? Well, reading from the very first sentence in that Fox piece, quote, Joe Biden wants to see higher taxes on the rich, especially those who derive most of their income from stock ownership and other investments, end quote. This is very much in line with other tax plans in this field, although the mechanisms Biden uses to get there are different. There's no Warren-slash-Sanders-style wealth tax, but there is a bunch of stuff aimed in that general direction. Reading again from Vox, quote, Strikingly, even though Biden's proposals on this front are much more moderate, they are almost identical in their orientation, raising money from a similar group of people for mostly similar reasons. Despite the disagreement about how far to go, all Democrats these days are basically reading from the same playbook. One that says Reagan-era conventional wisdom about the relationship between taxes and growth is wrong. Consequently, if Biden's plans were enacted, taxes on capital owners would end up substantially higher than they were at the end of President Barack Obama's tenure, even as taxes on the working and middle classes are lower. End quote. So, again, tax the rich. The main source of revenue in the plan has to do with taxing capital gains. That is, for example, profit from selling stock. Right now, capital gains are taxed at a dramatically lower rate than wages, and the people who own and sell stock on the regular tend to be on the wealthy side. So Biden says, let's tax capital gains, like stock sales, as regular income. 
He also wants to raise the corporate income tax from 21% to 28%. But reading one last time from Vox, I found this next item really interesting, and it may help explain how the rich and super-rich actually find themselves dodging taxes in ways that you might not even know about. Quote, The third source of revenue is on the obscure topic of inheriting stocks and other investments. Capital gains taxes are levied on the profits realized at the time you sell a share of stock. So, to the extent that Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos gets rich because Amazon stock gets more and more valuable, he doesn't pay any tax on that as long as he holds the shares. The taxes come when he sells the shares and reaps the profits. But if he passes shares on to his heirs as a gift, or when he dies and they sell the shares, the cost basis of the stock is stepped up to the price at the time the shares were transferred. In other words, if you inherit stock and then immediately sell it, there are no taxable capital gains at all. End quote. By doing away with this practice, Biden would bring in more than $400 billion over 10 years. Overall, his plan would raise about $3.2 trillion new dollars in taxes over a decade. That is less than many of his more liberal rivals in the Democratic primary field. But it also matches up nicely with the new spending he has already proposed in his other policy plans. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Today, an interview I did with the Words Matter podcast came out on their show. So, two things on that. If you've ever been curious who I am, or where I came from, or how I make this show, that's a good place to start. There's a link to that interview in bold in the show notes near the top. The other thing is, the Words Matter podcast is itself an excellent resource. It's a mix of political analysis by real political veterans. I'm talking about people who have worked in the White House, and they also speak to people who make things, often books, or in this case a podcast, to add those items to what they call their library. Think of that as a reading list. So I am proud to have this show in the Words Matter library, and you should check out their podcast. It is a consistently smart look at American politics. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. 